Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. You know, that's great, but how do you do that when someone can't read? Today on the podcast, we're going to be dealing with the conversation of morality. Hello and welcome everyone to The Scent Life. Uh, Normally this is the spot where Scott and I would banter back and forth, but unfortunately Scott is not able to be with us to record today. So I am flying solo on that portion, but I get the unique privilege of introducing you all to someone. In fact, this is a bit of a big announcement for us here in the Center for Great Commission Studies because the guest that I've got with you today is actually our new associate director. His name is Walter Bowen. So, Walter, how are you doing? It's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys today. Um, Freezing is the answer to that question. I was not prepared this morning for the cold, but, you know, I love seasons, so it's it's good – it's a good change. Yeah, it dipped off really cold yes. all of a sudden. I'm hearing it's supposed to pick back up over the weekend. Uh, we still got some Christmas decorations we want to hang up. Hey, yeah, that's good for it. Yeah, so I'm hoping that happens. Uh, well, again, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we're really excited to have you in the office. Walter's going to be joining us here uh, toward the end of the semester. We're closing down the the plane right now. It's finals week. We've got all a all that stuff that we're doing. And in the midst of that, we've added to our team. Having him in the office is going to be a real big help for us. Uh, So I think let's spend the first few minutes, uh, Walter, just giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the Scent Life audience, uh, who you are, a bit about your family, uh, some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks, Galen. Um, So a little bit about me. I, I did not grow up in the church. I was a CEO Christian, uh, Christmas and Easter only. Until about my, my college my college career, my mother left uh, to be a missionary nurse in sub-Saharan Africa. It made no sense to me whatsoever, but we you know loved her and we wanted her uh, to do what she wanted to do. So she left. That was sort of my my introduction to to missions. Kind of a, a weird way to to back into it. Uh, I got to study in Lorenzo de Medici Art School in Florence, Italy. And so while I was over there, I got a chance to, to go down to South Africa to visit my mother and see the, the joy she had doing what God created her to do. And I knew for the first time I did not have that, that maybe there was more to this Christianity business than I thought. Uh, so through, through a lot of different uh, circumstances, situations, I, I really saw that the life that I thought I was destined to lead as an artist uh, was not what God had for me. And, and I wanted his will for my life. And I, and I knew I, I knew I was broken. I knew I was sinful. You didn't have to convince me of that. I, I knew uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it, and it blew me away that the creator of heaven and earth would consider my relationship with him that important that he would die for me. Uh, at that point, I was hooked. I, um, I got to watch the, the Matthew video and Acts video while I was there. I was there watching TV, and there were three channels on TV, two of which were uh, in languages I didn't speak, the other one was daytime soap opera. So there I was like, go. Mom, do you have anything for me to watch, right? <laughs> and so she she slyly kind of handed me the Matthew video and Acts video, which is a word-for-word dramatization of the book of Matthew. And, and I was hooked at that point. 
I, I, it wasn't the first time I heard the gospel, but it was the first time I really understood the gospel. And at that point in Zimbabwe, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and haven't looked back ever since. I was, I was just saying, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Uh, I didn't know exactly what he would do and where he would take me, but uh, I've just been amazed to be a part of his family and a part of his work. Um, so I went back to Lorenzo de Medici, um, flew back to the United States after my, my stint there for the summer and continued trying to figure out life in Christ, what it was all about. I uh, joined a church as soon as I got back, continued through university, and uh, it, was, it was amazing. Um, my, my first mission trip, um, I was really hesitant to go, you know, but uh, the missions pastor there was like, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you consider coming to Japan? It was uh, Christmas time, so we had a foreign exchange over there. We, we could go into schools, businesses, uh, to talk about the cultural holiday of Christmas, uh, Christmas is actually pretty big in Japan if you haven't been. Um, it's Santa Claus and everything else. But yeah. we get to actually come in and talk about what Christmas is really about. And so we were invited into these schools. So the missions pastor said, well, why don't you think about using art as a way to communicate the story of the nativity while we share that verbally with whoever led us into their business or to their school? And so I, I said, yeah, I can I can do that, right? You know, I mean, that's that's the skill set God has given me. So, okay. So I would draw these pictures, you know, just short, and we would present it to them as a gift saying, thank you for letting us come in uh, to be able to share this with you. And it was a way for them to remember the story that we shared. It was, it was great being in Japan as an artist. Uh, I, I was telling Keelan this on the way over. It was the only place I've ever been where somebody asked, what do I do? And I said, I was an artist. And they said, you must be really smart. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yes, yes, that's, 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 I'm, I'm not going to correct you on that. So it was great to see the avenue that God opened up. And I came back uh, just figuring out how could God use someone like me? Yeah. So I, Walter, I really love your story and kind of your testimony. Uh, there's so many pieces of it that I think are really instructive for us. And of course, for those of us or those who are in our, our listening audience in specific, um, so Walter, you came to Christ, not as a little kid, no. uh, but later on through the witness of your mother sacrificing and going herself to be engaged in the Great Commission and missions, you were overseas as an artist yes. and engaged in learning how to do that skill, that craft, that mm-hmm. trade. Now, that to me is an, a pretty unique piece of the story here for us, and I think you bring some really interesting stuff to the table when we realize that you've got that background and you've taken mm-hmm. that background and seamed it together with an understanding of mission. So let me drill in just a bit on the art part, if yes. you don't mind. Sure. Uh, now, when you say artist, what what all do you do? Are you a painter, <laughs> a sculptor? Yes. All right. The, the, the short answer is yes. So my, my background actually was an emphasis in sculpture and printmaking, uh, but Living in apartments, it's kind of hard to, uh, to do that, right? So sure. a, lot of, a lot of painting, commission paintings, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I just love people. And it, it actually became a way of me being able to tell the stories. You know, when, yeah. I, when I went back on the mission field, um, this time as a saved person, <laughs> right? Uh, being able to, to engage in evangelism and seeing people come from death to life in Christ, it was a way for me to, to take their picture, their portrait, and show it to people. You know, sometimes we have a hard time slowing down in a just frantic pace that we live in. So to get people to understand and hear the story of this person who gave their life to Christ, I would portray it and then be able to explain this, this 
sister now that we have in Christ who's yeah. uh, put their faith and trust in, in the Lord. Yeah, that's exceptional. So before we go too much further, tell us a bit about like personal life, family. Mm. You're married, of course. So yes. walk, walk us a bit through that and how all that stuff happened. Absolutely. Uh, I'll try to make this as brief as possible because I could. I, you, sure. Yeah, I, I love talking about my wife. <laughs> so, um, so I came back to college campus. Right, I was engaged in international ministry on campus. Okay. So had a great mission field right there. You know, God brought the nations to me. So I, you know, I was I was there engaging. Um, and my wife was doing the same thing as well. My wife Pranima, uh, she's born and raised in Calcutta, India. She grew up a couple of blocks away from Mother Teresa, the Sisters of Charity. Uh, her father was a house church planter down there. So she was engaged in, in uh, missions, really, from, from, uh, from an early age, really. Um, her lineage is, is really cool, too, because she can trace her uh, ancestry back to William Carey's ministry um, there in, in Calcutta. Isn't that phenomenal? It, it blows my mind every yeah. time I get to think about that. And, um, and her great, great, Great grandfather was a Hindu, right? So it's yeah. Uh, now they're they're generational Christians. Um, her father always said, "Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean you're going to heaven, right? So you have to make yeah. that decision as well. You don't get uh, grandfathered in." And so she go. gave her life to Christ when she was 13. Uh, shared um, and on her uh, school campus, and mm. when she came to the United States to get her college education. Uh, she continued sharing on her school campus, and that's how go. we met. We, we were both running the same race together. That's I saw awesome. her heart before yeah. the Lord, and I, and I said, yes, that's exactly what, <laughs> what I've been looking for. So, so we're going to be married for 20 years coming up in February 2024. Um, so it's, it's flown by, though, really, and yeah. it's been amazing to, to continue running this race. Uh, with my wife. Um, we've we've actually got to go to Calcutta to take part in ministry over there. Excellent. Uh, to do house church planting. After Katrina, we were in seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So we we both had, uh, were gainfully unemployed and, and homeless <laughs> at the same time. We had about 12 feet of water in our sure. apartment. So the church was like, hey, um, here's some tickets to go take part in ministry over there. When there's a city to come back to, you can come back. So, there you go. so we got to experience that. Also, uh, ministry-wise, missions-wise, yeah. Um, we went hands-on 2010 uh, for the World Cup in South Africa. So we, we worked with evangelism, helping the church get inroads into communities they couldn't get into. Came back and then reapplied for full-time with the board. Uh, my wife was also an Indian citizen at that time, so she applied for citizenship, which yeah. was, a, was a hard thing for her. Sure. Because she can't do dual citizenship as an Indian and American. Uh, but God just really encouraged her with Philippians that my citizen, your citizenship is secure in heaven, right? So she yeah, knew where yeah. she was ultimately going and knew that if, if this is God's calling on her life, then what's a citizenship? So right? she gave up citizenship in her home country in order to be able to go as a, a missionary. It was a sacrifice she was willing to make is what you're saying. Yes. I love yeah. that. It, it was um, – she's always encouraged me, you know, mm. to be to take one step further uh, in my, my walk with Christ. And so we, we went back um, – to Sub-Saharan Africa. I was the visual arts consultant for Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, While we were in West Africa serving, um, health issues hit. Uh, We had to come back off the field, served as an associate pastor over discipleship and missions at a multi-ethnic church plant uh, for about seven years, and then came here and been continuing ever since. So that, and that's perfect. That that lands the plane at where I actually want us to spend uh, probably the rest of the podcast is you came here uh, for 
I don't, I don't know that you've said this yet in the podcast. So he, uh, Walter's working on a PhD with us here mm-hmm. at Southeastern, and uh, he's doing it in missions. And the topic that he's doing, I think, is a particularly important one. And you'll notice he had mentioned that he served as the, the visual arts coordinator there in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, why would the IMB need a visual arts coordinator in sub-Saharan Africa, Walter? What, what exactly were you doing? <laughs> Great question, right? So as, as Keelan mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, how do you make disciples of people who can't read or don't read or, or don't prefer to read to right. get their information? Uh, we, we call those uh, oral preference learners. And so not just in sub-Saharan Africa, but I'll start there since sure. that was the question, but it, it goes a lot yeah, broader sure than just Africa. Uh, so a lot of people either can't or won't or don't read to mm-hmm. gain information. So how do you get the Bible to people who either don't have a Bible written in their language or don't even have a written language? And so these are some of the things that we work with in morality strategies of how do you get this to stick generationally? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we have several different things that people do, you know, storing the Bible, ethnomusicology. I worked alongside another guy who, who would create scripture songs with people. And he would get groups together so that they would create in their own heart language straight scripture, and they would dedicate it to song as a way to remember and learn scripture. Most of us have, have done the same thing. You probably learned your ABCs to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, your mind's maybe blown right now thinking that's the tune for Twinkle, Twinkle. I just thought it was the ABC song, right? right. Yeah, we're in the midst of that right now at my home, not learning the ABCs. I learned those a while back myself. (laughs) Uh, But I've got two little ones that are doing that song all the time now, right? And so we hear Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star all the time. So you got to love it, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's one of those things. But it it gets stuck. It's ingrained, right? So this is how God has created us as as learners. Oftentimes, we just communicate in two channels, verbally and written. Uh, But God has has given us a whole lot more channels of communication. Uh, Donald Whitney, in his book... Uh, talks about 12 different channels of, of communication. It's fascinating. It really is. And, and a lot of those are visual. Mm-hmm. And we don't even tend to think about it. If you think about the, the history of the church as well, of, of being able to tell these stories to people who couldn't read, um, if, if you're from a Western or a European background, you probably have seen stained glass or sculptures or frescoes or those kind of things as a way to give a concrete hook to hang an abstract principle on the, the greater narrative and story of God's word. And so visually, every culture has a way of doing this, of presenting and keeping on to those type of memories. And I'll give you an example, too, in an African context, mm-hmm. especially in West Africa. While we were there, patterns are a huge thing. Uh, patterns of clothing yeah. mean certain things. We, we were actually at a pastor's retirement uh, over there, and there was a pattern dress that was made specifically for this pastor's retirement. Uh, that pattern will never be used again. So anytime anyone ever sees somebody walking down the street with that pattern dress on, they'll know, hey, you were at Pastor such and such's retirement. Do you remember the churches that he planted? Oh, my goodness. Can you? And his legacy continues that way. Right. And you ask, is that really what happens? Yes. I saw it <laughs> myself. So my job was figuring out how do cultures visually present and hold on to these stories? And how can we wed that with orality and Bible to get scripture for generations to come? 
Yeah, so there's so many uh, points of contact, I think, for this with like practical ministry and how we think through what we're doing when it comes to both gospel proclamation and then discipleship of those who yes. who accept they kind of cross that line of faith. And then how are we going to do that whole teaching them to obey all that he has commanded aspect, right? So there's this this whole frame that so many of us here in the States are not used to thinking through. Uh, and when you look back, and you mentioned this, even into like our own Western church history, uh, those stained glass uh, windows in all of our cathedrals, uh, they were didactic in nature. We, that's a fancy word for teaching, right? So they were a teaching material. Yes. How do you take uh, the kind of the common mass of people in a society where the vast majority of people cannot read and accurately and faithfully instruct them in the words of Scripture? Uh, that's a, a live question yes. for so much of the world, and it's one that we tend to not really know how to answer or even think needs to be answered unless we have the eyes to see that. Yes. Yeah, and the, and the visuals don't replace the verbal proclamation. Right. Uh, they they go alongside to strengthen the verbal proclamation as a way of to remember uh, the stories that were told, sort of like what I did in Japan of being able to present those. And this this happens not just in Africa, but all across the world. Um, in fact, the percentages of oral preference learners worldwide are roughly between 75 to 80 percent. That means even here in America, even my own testimony, I came to faith by watching the presentation of the gospel right. through the Matthew video. Uh, it's not just me and not just people in Africa, but those sitting in your pews, those that you're trying to lead in a Bible study, even the, the church that I was pastoring, uh, was very oral preference. I could say, go read this this passage, and we're going to come back and talk about it, um, and and find that maybe five out of seven may not have done that, right? right. So, so trying to get them engaged in, in a way that they can not only hear the story, but remember it, because we want to get God's Word in people's hearts, in their minds, continually thinking about it, and using visuals for not just oral preference cultures, but for all of us, has a way of giving us a hook that we can hang this bigger principle on for God's Word. And so that's, that's really what I'm writing about, is how do we maximize the, the way that God has created us visually to receive information, to store information, and to share information so that we can get the good news in the hands of people who don't have it. Yeah, and I love the, I love the fact that you're tackling this one with your dissertation. Uh, it's a it's such an important topic for us to think through well. And there are, like I said, many, I think, practical ministry applications for us today. Um, a couple of things you said that I want to go ahead and point out. Notice that Walter said that this is not a replacement for the spoken or written word. That's not what he's suggesting here. I don't think that's what any of us would be suggesting here, right? Um, however, it is an important, I would say even crucial, supplement to that uh, in the way that we would communicate this kind of stuff. Uh, so this is not a like replacement for teaching literacy. That's, I think that's probably a, a shallow understanding of orality strategies. Uh, what, you, what you really see, I think, is something that helps us to both supplement and even to engage in entry and evangelism in an area where there is, say, almost no literacy. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that long-term we wouldn't want these people to be able to read. However, Good missions practice and good missions theory doesn't say you need to learn how to read before we can share the gospel with you. That's probably the wrong order there. And so being able to think about those who learn best in an oral way and 
then for them, that's their primary mode of learning, and we may supplement it with literature, right? Yes. Uh, that understanding, it's very, it's live on the field. You heard the statistics that Walter uh, pointed out how many people in the world are, uh, are oral-only or oral-preference learners. Uh, and I think, and so here's where we probably need to land the plane on this one, uh, Walter. We talk about overseas a lot when we say this, mm-hmm. right? So there's so many people in Africa that are oral-only, they're illiterate, or they're oral-preference. You've got the same thing in large portions of the 1040 window. Um, is, does this matter at all for us in the States? And obviously the answer to this question is yes, but how does this matter Mm. for us in the States? Absolutely. Um, We are a YouTube generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people will not go and read a manual. They're not going to read a a book on how to do something. They're just going to flip on their phone and type it up, right? So that's that's how we we gain a lot of information. And I think we've kind of lost a little bit of the edge in the church of being able to present material in that way as a supplement, again, in sharing God's word, of, of mm-hmm. getting that out. Now, there's some great things out there. You know, there's the Bible Project, right? There's sure. other things that are out there that, that kind of hone in on this. And even if it's just something simple as 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 you're preaching or as you're teaching, I used to do this too in my in my groups. I would we're talking about David and Goliath, right? So I would have um, one of my friends stand on a chair so he, everybody could visually see that when I was teaching this story, mm. and so people could visually see something. So it doesn't have to be huge, elaborate. You don't have to do a huge painting, mural on the right. wall, right? Uh, we, we have other things that we can do on a day, daily basis that don't really take too much effort. But I, I think as, if we can give as much visual content to help people remember, to help people learn, we need to do that because that's where the culture is. That's where the people are. That's, that's what gets remembered. So I, I think if we hone in on our discipleship, because people need to be discipled. Mm-hmm. They need to be discipled in a manner that they're going to learn and their preference, right? We, we can try to disciple people how we want to be discipled, uh, and we'll miss the vast majority of people who are sitting in our pews, who are walking down our streets, who are our neighbors, if we, if we only use one approach instead of the, the different methods and different lanes that we can, or different channels that we can carry information on. Uh, so my, my plea to you is to use as many channels as God has given us to get God's word. Even if it makes you a little bit uncomfortable at times, you're like, man, I'm waving my arms up here like a crazy person. People will remember that. Even as simple as if I'm standing on one side of the stage when I'm preaching a certain aspect of the me- message of who went home justified that day, was it the publican, <laughs> or was it yeah. the Pharisee, right? Or and then go to the other side. It's it's just a visual hook for mm. people to hang the story on. So videos are good, uh, even for even for prayer. Uh, I used to use mm-hmm. PrayerCast.com as a way for people to to pray for the nations. Uh, it's a great resource. It's free if you guys want to look at that. Uh, but it's just a, a brother or sister in Christ who's leading people through prayer, and it's a video, short video, like three to five minutes. Um, that just walks people through, and they can see who they're praying for. They can see the needs that they're praying for. They can pray alongside. Uh, and we found that to be just, just be a powerful tool for people mm. to not only hear about the nations, hear about the lostness, um, it no longer it becomes a statistic in their mind. It becomes a person with real needs. Um, so sometimes we just have to see it to understand it. 
Yeah, and I think that's super helpful. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're you're hearing this and saying, oh, okay, so maybe I need to consider multiple avenues. Uh, how do I include visual arts? How do I include all these other ways that communication happens and start thinking more about that so that I can engage more of my own congregation or more of those people that are around my church? Walter, do you have a couple of like go-to resources? You mentioned PrayerCast uh, and you mentioned the, the Bible Project mm-hmm. right on YouTube. Uh, are there other things that you'd have say, go-to resources for a pastor that's considering how would I start thinking through the way that we do our discipleship and how it includes this kind of stuff? Well, so that is slowly coming. That's, <laughs> that's why you're writing a dissertation, That's why I'm right? writing the dissertation. <laughs> um, so th- there are some things out there. Um, a lot of times when you look at using the arts, uh, our go-tos normally are music, and, yeah. and rightfully so. You know, I mean, sure. we're, we're, we're worshipful people in that avenue. And I would say God has gifted you with artists around you. Um, oftentimes, and this, this was my own personal testimony and story on this as well. Um, my mother was a nurse. My brother was an oral comm guy. He's a preacher. And I was an artist. So I'm like, okay, people aren't dying without getting their, their picture drawn. You know, where do I fit <laughs> right. in the body of Christ? And I think we've had a hard time as a church being able to include creatives into our fold and giving them a, an, an appropriate avenue to be a part of the church. And no a doubt. part of the mission. No doubt. And so I, I would encourage you as pastors to, to come alongside to shepherd well the, the creative community that's there. And even when going overseas on missions, mm-hmm. to, to keep an eye out for the creatives there because they are the ones who are creating the culture. And, and we tend to overlook those people. <laughs> so I, I encourage you to. Yeah, so perhaps the best well. resources are those folk in your congregation that may be creatives themselves. Absolutely. How do you, raise them up to help you think through this issue well. I think that's a great, I think it's a great call. Uh, Walter, thanks so much for being with us today. This is a fascinating conversation. If you're uh, joining us today, this is, I'm sure, not the last time you're going to hear from Walter. We've got him around now, and so I'm sure he'll be making an appearance periodically on the podcast with us. Uh, We're glad to have you in the office, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. If you're listening, uh, feel free to pass this along to others and to share with others. Uh, If you have any questions about this stuff, you can reach us at cgcs at sebts.edu. You can find us on the web at thecgcs.org. And of course, follow our podcast at all the places where you follow your podcasts. uh, And you can find us on all the socials as well. We look forward to joining you again. For now, this is The Sinlock. College at Southeastern believes that God is at work in this generation, calling out Christians to leverage their lives for the Great Commission. That's why we train students biblically, theologically, and vocationally in community to give their lives for the cause of Christ. In spring 2024, Southeastern will be hosting its annual Go Conference, designed to train, challenge, and mobilize college students for the Great Commission. Invite your college group to join us on campus on February 9th and 10th Save the date and sign up for next year's conference at thegoconference.com.